Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Monday, June 19th, 2023. Cryptocurrency security solutions are crucial for several reasons. First, cryptocurrencies operate on decentralized networks, making them vulnerable to hacking and fraud. Robust security measures such as encryption and multi-factor authentication safeguard transactions and wallets, protecting users from theft and unauthorized access. Secondly, with the increasing popularity of cryptocurrencies, hackers target individuals and exchanges to exploit vulnerabilities. Implementing strong security solutions ensures the integrity of the ecosystem, building trust among users and promoting wider adoption. Overall, cryptocurrency security solutions are essential for safeguarding digital assets and maintaining a a secure financial landscape. To discuss one company's compelling and innovative approach to cryptocurrency security, I'm pleased to introduce Brittany Miratoran, Head of Business Development at Harpy. Brittany, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me here, Mark. It's great to be here. Well, this is going to be a great podcast, um, as we were talking before we went uh, to a live position, so recording this. Um, you know, one of the things that's intriguing to me about cryptocurrencies is really the number of mainstream people who really don't get it. They understand it's important. Uh, they understand that they probably should have um, a cryptocurrency asset in their in their um, day-to-day capabilities for a whole bunch of different reasons. But, you know, it got kind of a bit of a, bla- a, a, um, a bad rap because of that whole um, SBF um, debacle, which was really not about c- the, the cryptocurrency itself. That was a kind of a, a, a kind of a sideshow, and it still is a sideshow. But nevertheless, I think there was some collateral damage there. But um, you're a great person to have on this podcast because I want to talk about your company's solutions. But I also want to go, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about your background. So let me bring up a slide here that will help with that. And uh, I'll turn the podcast over to you for a couple minutes. Awesome. Um, yeah. So you mentioned it before um, when we were talking, you know, my background is actually in consumer tech and smart home. Um, a lot of people don't know that that actually started with a, you know, childhood side career of building custom computers for pro gamers. Um, so I've always had this sort of like nerdy hacker side on the the, the back end. Um, I'm, I'm, and- I'm, let me just stop you right there. We should have, we can talk after the call, but I was the head of marketing at Alienware years ago. So I'm sure you've dealt with, you know, Alienware was kind of the king of. Uh, oh my God, PC game. Mag Magazine was filled with ads. Oh yeah, oh it was, yeah, and then they got acquired by Dell, and a different, uh, and we could, that's a different story. That's a different podcast. But anyway, back to you. That's an intriguing part of your background. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so that I was always like a hardware kinesthetic person. Um, so it's funny. I went off to computer science school, and I was like, I'm not interested in this. This is all coding. And through a crazy path, I ended up back in smart home. Um, which is really kinesthetic, right? When we're building homes and running wire, we're, we're really just building a giant PC rig in my head, at least. <laughs> um, and that's why I was so passionate about it um, and, and got so into it um, as really my first career. Uh, and when I when I was last in CE, I was uh, working at Somfy in North America. So on the side, I was still cultivating this passion for tech. I always really like knowing what's at the edge of tech. And I saw blockchain expanding a lot. I had friends from Boulder that had, you know, been in blockchain since the beginning. You know, they were early Bitcoiners, 
it, they were they were in it and always trying to convince me. But I'm a very skeptical human. I'm a New Yorker. I'm a woman. I tend to be risk adverse. Uh, so I I sort of stayed at arm's length. And, you know, COVID came, everyone had a little bit more time on their hands. And I started to dig into, you know, something I always found really interesting. And by way of that, I found out that one of the best ways I could learn was by participating uh, at a hackathon. So I entered to go compete with an ETH, a team at an ETH Global Hackathon, which is an Ethereum Foundation hackathon. And uh, really, I thought that when you go to a hackathon, you're going to go be breaking things. Um, so I actually bought a laptop that I was like, I, was, I can't use my work laptop for this. Like, I might break something. <laughs> so... I, you know, I showed up with my fresh and shiny laptop and I was, I was really excited to find out that we weren't going to be breaking things. Um, we're actually going to be building things. So hackathons are innovation spaces. You know, a hacker is somebody that uses the tools available to them um, to get to a solution. So that can be a black hat solution where they're trying to take something from you or, you know, restrict your access to something or white hat where they're using the tools to undo that. Yes. Um, or innovation hacking, which is where you use tools and technology available to build things that just don't exist yet and solve problems that are experienced out in the real world um, or in software. Um, so through that um, and a, a couple of hackathon wins and a real, really wonderful onboarding experience, uh, I ended up meeting the founders of Harpy uh, and I was really excited to join their team. Uh, I was a student out of Duke that had a really successful project and got funded um, and was looking to pursue that further. Uh, that's fascinating. And by the way, hackers are, there are many, many white hat hackers that are employed by big, big fortune 1000 companies, HP being one of them. I do some work with HP and they pay them lots of money to, you know, to a, understand the way a hacker thinks, you know, that's, I think that's first and foremost, but to help undo and prevent some of the, the mischief. Well, mischief is actually a very kind word, but some of the damage that they do. So you're obviously got a good background for this role. L let's go into, um, uh, Harpy itself, though. So, you know, uh, who is Harpy? Not many people have heard about it. And why was the company created? So Harpy is a, a suite of security tools. Um, and it was created to solve a problem um, at a hackathon. So in the crypto space, as you mentioned, uh, it's sort of ripe for malicious activity. Uh, there's a lot of new people using crypto. The technology changes every day. So you can be very vulnerable. And um, our founder, Daniel Chong, and his brother, Noah, uh, were at ETH Denver and wanted to solve that problem. So they created a solution. Uh, it's called Harpy Today. Um, and now it's actually a full suite of solutions because we've been able to iterate on that. Um, so with Harpy, uh, there's three main things that we do uh, for consumers. So we have an address scanner. So that means when you're working with blockchain, so there's some basic assumptions here that um, you know, there's an understanding of blockchain and what a wallet is. But when you are signing transactions from a wallet, you can be very vulnerable because you're just clicking buttons. And a lot of times the only information being shown to you is like a line of, of code or, yes. you know, it could even be like hexadecimal numbers. Um, and there's not a lot there. So you can be tricked very easily into signing a transaction that might not even look like it does anything bad right away. Like it might seem mundane and then all of a sudden over months you're slowly being drained so there's a lot of these problems so an address scanner will allow you to type in an address of a smart contract which is a something on the blockchain that you're interacting with that's what you're signing is the smart contract um, right. so you can scan that address and see if it's been involved in malicious activity if it's adjacent to malicious activity and just sort of give you and and 
a general health check with some additional information. Um, that's something we also offer. It's free to consumers. So anybody can go on there and use that tooling. Um, and then we also make it available to enterprises that want to build that in. So if part of their programming, they want to check any smart contracts are malicious before they interact with it, they can automatically do that through an API. Um, so another thing we built, um, we're really proud of is two-factor off for your wallet. This is something we're really familiar with in you know, our banking and our credit card transactions. You're swiping your card, something looks fishy, you get a text or an email. In the meantime, that transaction is declined, it won't go through. So we built the same thing for your crypto wallet, which means that you can actually, yeah, you can, you, can, you can accept a transaction, but if you're using the Harpy RPC layer, you'll actually get an email before that transaction is able to complete. And unless you click the button in that email, the transaction will hang. It will not complete. Um, and it's another layer of protection that you're able to set up so that you're not vulnerable when you're interacting with crypto. Because mm. it's not just like new users that get affected. Um, we see CTOs getting their wallets drained. It's, it's not uncommon. Um, and then this is what we, we really came to market with. It was our, our flag, flagship product and something we're really proud of because we've saved millions, um, but it's loss prevention. So this and is something- and, and I want you to spend a couple of minutes on this because this is a big deal. It's, this is not a trivial protection layer. So yeah, let's go into some detail on that. Yeah, so this is something you'd set up ahead of time. So it is preventative, um, but you are able to set up a basically firewall for your wallet. So you can go in and you can protect your tokens. So if you have any sort of Ethereum tokens, you can go and protect them. What you do when you protect them is you're actually setting up a vault. And if your asset, so whether it's tokens or NFTs, I mean, uh, like cryptocurrency tokens or NFTs, if it's trying to leave your wallet and it is not on a predetermined list of addresses that you've okayed, so your spouse's wallet, your partner wallet, a hardware wallet, if it's not on those ones that you've already predetermined, we can actually front run that transaction, which means that we use hacker technology, which previously hackers were doing something called paying higher gas fees to get your transaction before you can actually put it on the blockchain. And so we're using that technology to actually take your asset back in process and put it into a vault. And it stays safely in that vault until you retrieve it. So the, that's a really long way to say that you can set up a protection firewall around your crypto assets. And if someone tries to steal them and they're successful, so they are in the process of stealing your assets. It's as if they are in your house holding, you know, your diamond rings or whatever it is, and they are stealing your assets. We can actually stop them in process and then put it in a safe place. Um, so that's really helpful because you can set up a lot of layers of protection, right? We talked about two-factor auth and address scanning. You can use hardware wallets and good practice. But if all those things fall through, everything's gone wrong, your seed phrase is stolen, this actually helps you while you're being stolen from. Right. I mean, it really is tr tremendous, what I would call fail-safe technology, to use an old military term. Um, I mean, it, you know, every layer like this is so important to really mitigate that probability of something negative happening. You know, one of the things about cryptocurrency that people like is that the um, transactions go from party to party. There's a lot of security and there's a lot, uh, th there's not a lot of information sometimes that's disclosed, which obviously can be a, a problem for people who really don't get it. 
that yeah that's a, a virtue for some for us uh, for um some folks but it also can be a problem um in terms of once that transaction goes through you know uh there's very little you can do to try to retrieve it there are some things you can do but you know once it gets processed and executed you know you're pretty much um you're you're, you're exposed so let's talk about though um the the other topic and, and this is really important here because we've you know, I, I have to bring this up. You've got this whole uh, Gen AI taking over the world, <laughs> and it's scary. And, and that there's probably a component to that that you might want to talk about because I'm sure there's been some long discussions about that. But the ability to fake people out, deep fakes, uh, it, it's it's really crazy. You know, so let's talk about some of the security risks associated with this brand new world of uh, cryptocurrency, and you know how your technology can mitigate the uh, the risks. Yeah. So, you know, it, the really interesting thing is that when you're thinking of being hacked or, or a hacker attacking you, um, usually you're thinking of two things. A, you're thinking of a single person behind a laptop, as you see on the screen today. Um, and you also usually think that you're going to be directly targeted, like somebody is going to be coming after you. Um, and the problem is that it's, it's really not that simple. There are full blown organizations with teams and developers and salespeople that are running operations. And they're not necessarily, the majority of times, they're not trying to just get you. They're not trying to get well, one specific person. I, I think that is a terrific point. This is not Matthew Broderick from War, War Games, you know, you know, <laughs> to use a really dated <laughs> example. I mean, these are organizations that are for lack of a better, they're very structured. They're almost like corporate um, entities, frankly, that that operate, you know, in a very nefarious and bad way. But I think that's a great point that the entities that are doing this are not some kid in a garage uh, in uh, Hackensack, New Jersey. I don't know why I brought Hackensack up, but anyway, but but I think it's valid. Yeah, no, they're they're full blown enterprises, and and hackers have resumes. Yeah. Um, and they, they put a lot of effort in this. You graphic designers, you have UI, UX, you have people making oh, yeah. sure that the entire experience is mimicked or designed to trick you into giving away your assets. Because the thing is, most people think that they're going to be stolen from. The reality is you're tricked into giving your assets away. You are signing a contract that gives them away. And you see people using, you know, like the APIs we built to do cool things like show you in a wallet says, you know, this is doing that. This transaction is interacting with this. So they're giving some information. But in the end of the day, hackers can also do their work to get good information posted up there. So they are groups of people with huge attempts and expensive attempts to trick large amounts of people at FOMO moments to giving their assets away. So mm. they really do target those moments. But because of that, you see people that you would think are immune to this kind of mistake. You know, like I said, you see CEOs and founders and CTOs getting tricked by phishing scams. No, I think that's an absolutely important point here. This is not a problem and only affects senior citizens, which I think is some yeah. people perceive that. And, and there's no question that the older population might be disproportionately affected by issues like that. But you're absolutely right. You know, you could be working for a Fortune 50 company as a CTO and, and then you have to be uh, you're embarrassed to admit, oh, I got I got uh, my account got fished. You know, so it's 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 a problem. 
it's it's so hard. And then you end up in this situation where it's very publicly, you know, where especially in the crypto world, you know, everyone's still very much on Twitter. Um, so information travels very quickly. And then as an organization, you know, or a user, you are forced to come up with security measures very quickly. So now you are in a second vulnerable state, right? You just lost all your assets. And now you have people coming to you offering, because there are, there are, like you mentioned, real white hat hackers. You can, if you've lost over a thousand dollars in digital assets, you can usually enlist a white hat hacker to help you retrieve them if it's going to be possible. And then they take a, a finder's fee off of that. Um, but if you got your assets stolen, now all of a sudden you're in a second vulnerable state. You don't have your things. You feel like you need to protect yourself and you have a lot of strangers and companies reaching out to you offering their services and their protection or their help. And unfortunately, a certain amount of those people are also nefarious. Um, so you are now having to make very quick decisions on security. So it's just so important you know, to be proactive about this because there are, you know, there's a whole list on the page right here. You know, these are all different ways you can be tricked into giving away your stuff. Um, and honestly, you know, it's crypto. So you can also accidentally send your things to the wrong place too. Um, and being protected in instances like that is also helpful. I would be lying if I didn't say I didn't actually accidentally send my um, token once to uh, the wrong address. I was trying to send it to my husband and instead it went to a different ETH name. And that was purely my mistake. And had I been using Harpy back then or, or had protections enabled, it would also protect against user error. Right. So you have natural user error. It's real. You know, I mean, you see user error all the time. We do it in smart home tech too. I mean, we, we make mistakes. We're human. So protecting yourself against that in general is very helpful. Um, but there are, you know, people really underestimate uh, the the organization of the entities that run these cyber scams. Well, um, and I, I, a teenager in a basement in Hackensack, but he's likely working with 10 or 12 other people. <laughs> I think you said you were from New York, so you probably know where Hackensack is. So I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Northern New Jersey. I know where Hackensack is. There's a great, there's a couple of great restaurants and, and, and delis in, in, in Hackensack. Uh, but um, the thing I want, before we move off the slide, you know, social media has become this kind of the farm system for these, like a baseball term, a farm system for cryptocurrency scams. And each of these are big, big problems. But have you noticed the rise in that yourself? You know, and, and the fact that uh, that social media can be used is, is hey, it's, a, it's great in a variety of different ways. But if you want to scam folks, you know, it seems to be the, the almost ripe territory uh, for the bad guys to uh, kind of, um, you know, operate. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think social media is unfortunately the medium that most of this happens through. Um, that's usually where you're clicking a malicious link through. I mean, sometimes it's email, but you're right with the prevalence of social media. And the problem is that it's, it's really easy to mimic a reputable source. Um, it's very, you know, feasible to get followers, create engagement, people sell their actual engaged accounts to hackers. So they'll create an account, farm engagement on just, you know, GMs and hellos and, you know, how's the day and have a real account with followers, and then sell it off to somebody. Um, and they may not know that that's a hacker. They may just be happy to get cash in on their account. Other times you have, especially in crypto, so much of the onboarding happens through social media. Um, whether that's, you know, it used to be Clubhouse and then, you know, people are starting to use Instagram, but majority for us, it's Twitter. 
Um, and a lot of it is Twitter spaces. Now you see some of that on LinkedIn as well. Um, but some of these people that are really excited to be sharing information may or may not be qualified to fully vet all of the tools that they're sharing. So you have, you haven't, you have sold accounts, you have like intentionally malicious accounts that bought followers or engagement, but then also you have this like accidental, I am an influencer that started, you know, my story from zero to 60 people followed along with me. So now I have this megaphone and this voice and I can talk to people and they're also getting inundated with offers and opportunities. And, you know, actually you brought up FTX. I, you know, I'm not the biggest Tay Swift fan. Like I, I like her and everything, but I have a lot of respect for her because she actually turned down uh, a marketing deal from FTX. She was the only person that asked questions back about how safe it was and what the legislation was behind it. So, right. you know, most people don't do that or the agencies working behind them don't do that. And they may be accidentally passing you along to something directly nefarious or something that points you it, it can just be such a mess. And, you know, I'm, what I talk a lot about is triangulation. You know, even me here as like a, you know, somebody with a tech background and somebody that is an active person in crypto security, you can't take anything I say for granted. You should always triangulate it. You should always be able to find two other points of reference on information. And if you can't, I highly recommend either digging deeper or sticking back you know, especially if it feels FOMO, like if you have any fear of missing out, if you feel like there is a timestamp on something, and if you don't get past your gut judgment on something, you're going to miss out, miss out. Like that is your literal guttural fear indicator, like miss out, because that's when most of this theft, accidental fishing happens. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's absolutely true. And, and by the way, before we hit this next point that I want to jump into, if people had asked more questions about Theranos, <laughs> a lot of bad stuff would have been avoided. But that's a different podcast, too. So let's talk about, you know, wh why these scams and attacks so common. You know, we're talking about some big numbers here with, you know, you, you we're pointing to a number here of almost a billion dollars. You know, let's call it $730 million, but I'll round up for for um, uh, for priority purposes. But let's talk about why these scams so common. You know, I think that we've been, you know, talking about a lot of this here just because there are so many assets available and so many people to steal from, you know, the tech is being invented every single day. More capital is being put into crypto every single day. And whether you personally feel that that's like a good thing or a bad thing is somewhat on the side. The reality is there are a lot of assets here mm. and people are continuing to put money into this digital space. And as long as that grows every year, the interest in stealing those assets is also going to grow every year. Um, you know, we talk a lot about in the crypto space, like mainstream adoption and onboarding. And what can we do to bring on the next billion people to being comfortable with digital asset use? Um, the short end of that one is they're going to be brought on without thinking about it, because the reason this technology is so cool is it really just changes Right. how we build the things we use today. You know, the same way we don't talk about JavaScript or CSS, or you don't walk into a smart home and say, let me tell you about all the cool, like API keys I'm using in here and applets I downloaded to make, you know, you, you talk about how it feels and what their actual user experience is going to be. Um, well, and, and, and I think the point you're making here is that anytime there is a huge pool of money or assets, the bad guys will go chase it. 
And I mean, look what's happened with the PP program, uh, PPP program. I'll say it just correctly. Uh, you know, the government, you, you could argue all day long that, hey, should they have had that program? Should they not have that, had, not had that program? But I think I saw a report the other day of the, the $1.2 trillion in PPP that was allocated. 30% of it was lost to fraud. You know, not, some of it crypto, by the way, involved. That's a different topic. But the bottom line is that when you have a big chunk of money, and by the way, the government was very uh, focused on getting those dollars out as soon as possible. So they didn't they didn't implement some of the security capabilities that you would normally implement. You know, you get a lot of bad guys that will will focus on that. So that it's a very, very important point. Very, very well, important. Well, I mean, it's point. funny you bring that up. I mean, you can, again, there's a lot of different feelings about like central bank digital currencies and, and things like that. Um, you know, if you just look at it with sort of a raw lens of like what exists and what doesn't. Th that's the kind of thing that blockchain technology fixes, you know? Yes. So if the government needed to release a large amount of funds quickly and also need to know where those funds went and how they were used, that's exactly what blockchain does yes. because everything is immutable and everything's on chain. So they would have released that money and you can't change. So even if that money was washed and moved and moved and moved, you can still see where it originated. Yes. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's why I think being at least aware or comfortable with what block blockchain technology is today is so important. Um, it's one of the reasons I sort of dove out of CE with always the intention of, of being there for the industry, because we're going to be using it in, in all things we do, whether that's how we do our you know recurring service models or, you know, how you actually interact with a home, you know, forget about like, uh, you know, dongles and things like that, your, your digital wallet is going to be doing things in their dynamics. So you can give somebody access to your home and also revoke it just from your own phone. Um, and again, all these things are on chain. So somebody is entering the home. You can't change that. It's there. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a diversion from what we were talking about, but I, I think, you know, it answers the question kind of well, because it's so prolific because there's so much, so many assets in it. And that's just going to keep growing exponentially as more enterprise dives in and more retail dives in, um, which means, yeah, there's, there's going to be more people out there to try and get right. their share in an unfair way, unfair way. So let's get to the $64,000 cryptocurrency question. Um, what can individuals, this is where Harpy comes in. Uh, where, what can individuals do, you know, and the technology and in the, in the industry to protect themselves. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So uh, the first thing, like we mentioned, scanning, looking at what you're doing, triangulating your information and making sure you're clear on what's about to happen. Then make sure you have your two factor auth set up. So you have looked at that transaction. It's gone to your email and you've clicked it to go through. Um, and then, of course, having that sort of harpy protection in the background. All else fails. We see what's going on. We front run your assets and get it back to you. So sort of a three step process of triangulating two-factor auth, and then backup protection in case all goes wrong. Uh, just a real quick question. The onboarding process for this, could you give, provide some color and how quickly, you know, when they, they utilize your solution, does it take very long to get, um, uh, to implement the capability? No. So for address scanning, you don't have to do anything at all. You just show up to our website, paste the contract in, we'll give you the information. You don't need an account or anything like that. Um, two-factor auth. You are going to go onto our website. You're going to connect your Ethereum wallet. You're going to add our RPC layer. It's very easy. It, well, 
not very easy. It's a very complicated process, but we make it as simple as possible. Um, right. We walk you through it in very simple steps. Um, you know, not too many words on a page or anything like that. Um, you set up your two factor off and then same thing for Harpy. You're going to connect your wallet on that one. You're going to set an approval transaction for the token collection you want to protect. That does require some gas. So you need a little bit of ETH in your wallet in order to protect those tokens. Um, but that's how you'd set that up. Right. So this is probably more of a, a forward looking question, but what should companies be thinking about here? You know, as we kind of, you know, kind of, um, uh, drill down toward the end of the, the podcast. You know, what's your thoughts on that in terms of the way companies should kind of look at this problem? And and again, the smart home piece, I think, is an important part of this. So let's tie those two things together. I think we can do an entire podcast on just this slide, honestly. <laughs> um, to be to be honest, there's just so much. You know, from the smart home space, you have everything from you know we're usually responsible for the network. I say we because I always will feel like an integrator at heart, um, but we're responsible for the network, you know, the security of that network. There's assets being stored in that home um, on that net. Well, it's on the blockchain, but they're being accessed through that network. The computers that are accessing those wallets are on that network. That's really important. Um, then you have other things like the actual physical storage of hardware wallets. People build this, especially, you know, high net worth individuals. If they are not custodying, custodying their digital assets elsewhere, it means they have it in a safe somewhere in their home. So that's another thing that to be interested or aware of. Um, on another side, we do a lot with um, like TVs, right? And um, uh, digital art screening. NFTs are going to be a really big part of that asset. Um, so making sure that you understand what an NFT is, you know, why your customers might feel passionate about it. Because whether you feel passionate about it or not, these are high value entities that, that these people own. Um, and they're going to want to feel like, you know, the person that's responsible for their technology is also responsible for that technology too. So that's that's a lot of pressure right there. And it may be something that's enough for an integrator to just think about and be like, hey, is, is this something I want to add into my, my contracts, into my service, things like that, um, you know, Gaming, you know, there's a whole bunch of other assets that are going in there. So that's just sort of that like surface level. But then a smart home brand, like somebody that's actually building components, there's a lot there. So for your actual integrators, um, awarding them for education and things like that with what we call a POAP, which is a digital proof of attendance. This is essentially a digital certificate that proves information they know. So letting integrators start to earn these POAPs, these accreditations in a digital manner, will allow them to collect it into one space. So you may say, okay, well, I'm a business owner that doesn't make any sense. I don't really care. Or, you know, I don't want my tech to be ready to move around to other places and just take all the things that, A, we're in an open economy. So we need to just be aware that, you know, we're going to get the most out of our employees when we're investing in them. But if you put that aside, um, any of our employees or techs or company owners that own those POAPs, when they go to an event at like Cedia or CES, you can very easily say, all right, all of our, our platinum dealers are allowed. You don't have to worry with event lists. They just come in, they scan their, their wallet. It has their proof of platinum member. Um, you're having something in your booth or you want people to set up a uh, time to talk. All of that is going to be with digital asset exchange. So there's that aspect of it. And then you go to like, you know, actually automating the house. 
um, the person that's holding an NFT in their wallet is going to be the one making a function or experience in a house. So things that we've done in the past, like putting little dongles on backpacks to signify that the kids are home and, you know, alert the homeowner or turn on a certain thing on a TV or whatever it is, those things are actually likely to use dynamic NFTs. Um, so like I said, I, I can go on and on. I think we have a finite amount of time here, but there is so much um, smart home brands are going to be doing with all sorts of these digital assets and blockchain inevitable. Uh, and no, and, and, I, and I agree with all of that. I, I think the interesting thing that you brought up is the gaming piece. And as gaming becomes much more of a, um, a profit center, let's call it for, for competitive gaming, which, you know, if you're a professional gamer, as you know, because you've got this background, you can make a lot, you can make a nice living, you know, um, you know, being 14 or 15 and playing, um, all kinds of um, online games. It's almost like it's almost really a professional sport uh, in, in a and digital way. Parents spent a pretty penny uh, outfitting that capability of yours too. That's I mean. exactly right. And some of these games, you know, having digital assets that you have to protect to enable your competitiveness without going into a lot of detail, you don't want to lose those assets because at the end of the day, that makes your gaming experience that much more competitive. You know, f uh, from an edge standpoint. So. Again, I think, you know, we're in a brave new world and maybe we will do a podcast <laughs> specific to uh, how this impacts gaming. But um, what I want to do here, I want to really thank you for your time, um, Brittany. It's been really great uh, having you on the podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast or use these on-screen QR codes to connect with me. We have a QR code up there for Harpy to find out more information if you'd like and, or connect with Brittany. There's her email. Uh, please uh, connect with me and follow me on Twitter at Mark Tech Guy. And until next time, have a great week. And Brittany, thanks for participating. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's been great. Thank you. Mm -hmm.